Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. It's good to gather together again after being in quarantine and lockdown for so long. And yet we're still social distancing and uh, we're, uh, many of us are wearing masks. There's still a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've learned through this that there's science and then there's political science. <laughs> And it seems the more we get into this thing six months down the road, there's more political science to coronavirus than there is actual science out there. So let's not get swept away uh, in all of the furor and all of the back and forth just because uh, uh, of people's agendas. God has an agenda, and his agenda for us is good. And we're excited uh, to know that even though our world is in a bit of turmoil, that uh, inside of us we have the shalom of God. Shalom. Say shalom. Shalom on your home. Peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It may be, the world may be going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> But you and I, we know who's on the throne. We know our destiny is in God, in Christ. And uh, uh, even now, while we're down on the ground and still around, there's a blessing uh, for those that uh, look for it and not get swept away in all the, uh, the strife and confusion. Amen. So uh, we're in uh, Torah portion number 46 this morning. And uh, it's out of Deuteronomy 7 uh, through Deuteronomy 11. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Shema part 2 and the covenant that comes along with that, the covenant of love. And so uh, I entitled today's message, Is God's Grace Part of the Old Covenant? Uh, because in many uh, uh, theological doctrines, God's grace didn't come until Jesus came. Uh, however, uh, that uh, point is being argued today. And so even if you disagree and think that God was a mean old man uh, in the Old Testament, we'll agree to disagree agreeably. <laughs> Praise God. So uh, we welcome you. I'm Pastor Scott. You heard from Lydia, my beautiful wife. Uh, Forty years later, here we bees. And uh, we're excited to uh, be uh, your pastors here along with Pastor Larry and Tiz and the other pastors uh, here uh, at New Beginnings. But uh, uh, we began our study of the Shema last week. Uh, in last week's study, and uh, the Shema uh, is the uh, prayer uh, that is like the number one prayer in all of Judeo history, Jewish history. We're part of that history as we learn from studying our Jewish roots. Uh, but the Shema originates from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and uh, this is considered to be like the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance, the main declaration of faith. Uh, it declares the oneness of God. Remember Abraham, the father of our faith, brought that revelation 4,000 years ago to mankind. And some agreed uh, and many disagreed. How many of you agree this morning with Father Abraham that our God is the one true God of all the earth? Amen. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, so observant Jews recite the Shema in prayer twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, to fulfill the commandment out of Deuteronomy 6-7, recite it when you rise up and when you go to bed. And so a lot of times, well, well that's all Old Testament. And it is Old Testament, but it's better said it's the First Testament. And what God has done through the Second Testament or the New Testament is just continued the story. He's brought the story forward. He didn't cancel the first story. He's just extended it. And so uh, Jesus, how many of you believe in Jesus this morning? Of course. Amen. Uh He considered the Shema the most powerful of all scriptures and commandments. And I can prove it to you in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. We've never seen this before, but it's there. Open your Bible, mark that scripture so you know you've been that way before. Mark 12, 29, Jesus is in a a teaching moment and he's in a discussion with uh, uh, some Jewish men, and he answered them and said, the first of all commandments is, do you see it there? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he went on, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus knows what he's talking about, right? And I interrupt this uh, Torah study to let you know that Tyrone has indeed come. And there is indeed, <laughs> there's Larray, and, uh, and there's goodies in the back. Uh, we appreciate you guys and all that you do to make this a fun time together. So the Shema, Jesus shares it, Moses shares it, but it's not just out of Deuteronomy 6, it's actually the Shema uh, is uh, a total of three different scriptures from Deuteronomy 6, then here today where we're studying Deuteronomy 11, and then in Numbers 15. Uh, and so the second part of our study today is out of Deuteronomy 11. And uh, there's a subtle difference I want to go over with us to give us a little bit. Who doesn't mind going a little bit deeper in the things of God? Okay, I know a lot of people want the cartoon Hanna-Barbera version of the gospel, and that's good enough. That'll get you into heaven. But if we're going to be here for a while, we might as well learn more. Amen. Study to show yourself approved. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, of education. So uh, there's a subtle difference this week. It says, and I'll just read the scripture, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. It shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I'll send you rain. And so something new is going on. Uh, it's connecting uh, Deuteronomy 6 with something new. And part of what uh, uh, rabbinical teaching uh, shows us is that in Deuteronomy 6, God gave the Shema uh, for the individual. It is your individual confession of faith, as it were. This is the Jewish version of being born again. I pledge my allegiance to the one true God. It's their born again experience. We as Christians believe that, but we also, in addition to that, the rest of the story is we believe the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the living Son of God, and His sacrifice grafted us into all the covenants so that we could have eternal life and abundant life. Who thanks God for eternal life? Who thanks God for abundant life? 
Amen. So Deuteronomy 6 uh, expresses our allegiance to the Lord as individuals, a personal gospel. However, there's more to the story, as Paul Harvey once said. (laughs) And the rest of the story in Deuteronomy 11 is that Deuteronomy 11 is written in plural form. In Deuteronomy 6, God gives this in singular to the... But there's a a, a plural form being given now because God is not just addressing one individual. He's addressing the nation. And so the Shema... Uh, becomes a call to personal loyalty, but also national loyalty. All right? Uh, one of the great rabbis, Maimonides, in, uh, wrote uh, in the Middle Ages, he said, if we serve the Lord in unity as a nation, as a people, God will miraculously intervene by bringing prosperity to all. Beyond the limits of nature. Jews are legalistic. They don't have faith. Ah, not so fast, my friend, as Coach Corso once said. (laughs) Here's a rabbi from a, a thousand years ago saying that if we come together as one nation under God, Israel... God is going to miraculously intervene in our lives as a nation, in our history as a nation, and bring prosperity to everyone beyond the natural limits of nature. Turn and tell somebody, I like that. (laughs) Me too. However, this unlimited abundance that's being talked about is merited... Only as the multitude serve the Lord in righteousness and obedience. Which that tells us there's a lot to say about the laws we pass as a nation. Right? The laws that we pass as a nation just aren't for individual good. Right? It's like driving here today for some of you might have been a real NASCAR experience. People zooming in and out and putting you at risk and you're thinking, holy shnikes, why are you driving like a madman? You're endangering people. So we have speed limits and we teach laws in in driving to get your license so that people don't act a fool. On the roadway. Of course, none of us here have ever acted a fool. We've never zoomed in front of someone at the last moment to make our turn off the highway. (laughs) But how we decide, okay, these are our laws, and we're going to follow these laws. Israel, way back when, was given a set of laws to follow, not to earn their way to heaven, but so society wouldn't go crazy. We already had what it was like in Egypt. That wasn't working so good. Now God says, here's all these new laws, and if you govern your society, your culture is going to be livable. And if enough people come together in agreement with what I'm giving you, Israel, then I'm going to miraculously intervene upon your nation and loosen favor, loosen miracles, loosen things that you could work 10 years and never get on your own. But in a moment of time, because I'm a supernatural God, I can release on your nation blessings that can't come any other way. And that's why he says, uh, if you'll do all of these things, then I'll send you rain. Because in Israel, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. How many of you have been to Israel? Ever notice it's kind of dusty and deserty? <laughs> we need some rain on up in here. <laughs> Amen. And so, not only is it true for Israel, it's true for any nation. You know, we've been, I've been to Haiti like 10 times. Haven't been there recently, but you know, we've got the charitable work there, the orphanage. And, um, uh, Haiti's government isn't built on godly principles. 
Now, there's many people in Haiti that love God and want godly principles to be embedded in their society, but uh, it's rumored, there's debate over this, that when Haiti was first founded, they, uh, uh, they sacrificed a pig to Satan and dedicated Haiti to Satan. Now, people might debate that, but uh, it's, uh, it, it, whether it's myth or fact, uh, it's still hanging around a couple hundred years later, right? So there may be a, a little bit of truth to that. But no matter what, people, well, how can, how can God do that to somebody? To a na- how can things like that happen to a nation? Because they're not built on the things of God. That's why it happens. The moment you take your life and uh, move it outside of God's umbrella of protection, anything is gain. The devil goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't have permission to devour me. He doesn't have permission to devour you because you're under God's umbrella of protection. And what puts you there is that you're willing to follow his ways, not your ways. America's learning that lesson the hard way all of a sudden. Because there's a whole group of antichrist people that could care less about the Bible. They could care less about church. They might be dressed in real nice suits. They might hold high office and have a nice title. But they work round the clock and hand in hand with the devil to pass laws that make America not one nation under God, but one nation under man. And the farther down that road we get, the more ugly it's going to get. So we need the church to rise up, don't we? To preserve godly biblical moral history. Godly biblical moral law. We don't keep the laws of uh, our country to become citizens. We keep the laws of our country to become better citizens. And it just so happens America is built on the laws of God, which explains the backstory. Why is there such a culture war? Because uh, I don't know if you ever learned this in church before, but the devil hates God. <laughs> And by extension, he hates God's laws, God's Bible, and by extension, he hates you. But that doesn't matter because God loves me, and nothing can change that. So a sign of our uh, Christian maturity is the realization that we not only have and need a personal salvation, but we also need a national salvation. Amen. And that's good for every nation, but there's only two nations in the world that ever really got it, Israel and America. And we believe that our Judeo-Christian nation can and should experience the miracle power of God because we're not only personally committed, state by state, legislature by legislature, politician by politician recognizes that we are a Christian nation. We welcome people of all backgrounds and all faiths, but at the core of who we are, we are a Christian nation. And don't let anybody try to convince you otherwise. If you do, cast that devil out of them. One of the great rabbis uh, just before Jesus was born, Rabbi Hillel, said, if I am not for myself, who will be? That speaks to individual responsibility, individual salvation. If I'm not for myself, if you don't love yourself, if you're not for yourself, don't expect everybody else to be for you. you got to start being for yourself, and you can love yourself and it not be all uh, arrogant and stupid. But if I'm not for myself, who will be the individual? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? If I'm just for me, me, myself, and I, I'm more than Jim Carrey. Me, myself, and Irene. (laughs) If I'm only for myself, who am I? 
which is speaking to the fact that we need to have eyes to see beyond our own life and realize we're in this together. Christianity isn't a me thing, it's a we thing. Right? Amen. So, the Shema is both Old and New Testament, First and Second Testament. It's a revelation. And it began with Abraham... And it's just this all-purpose calling to accept the Lord God as the one true God, to accept His authority, to accept His Bible, to accept His covenant, to walk in His ways and to serve Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, and all of our soul. That's not bondage. That's true freedom. Because with that comes A promise, many promises. And uh, God promises us uh, to watch over us, to care for us, to provide for us, to protect us, to lead and guide us, to favor us, and just the list goes on and on and on. Who knows, God has a thousand and one things that are good that he wants to accomplish in our lives. Praise God. In, in a phenomenal article by one of my favorite rabbinical teachers, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he wrote an article entitled, The Covenant and Love. The Covenant and Love. And he teaches out of the Torah study we're going through today, that there's two unusual descriptions that show us an aspect of the nature of God, the goodness of God, that we might have missed, especially Christians, even though he's not writing it for Christians, but we miss it as Christians because our church fathers going back 1900 years hated the Jews. And we became the Hatfields and McCoys. And we wanted to shoot and kill one another, and we did. And even today, anti-Semitism, replacement theology, this angst, this hostility between Jews and Christians still exists. Our church exists to tear down the wall that divides. The tabernacle of David in the Old Testament was a tent. It wasn't a, a, a magnificent temple. It was a tent. And there was no middle wall separating Jew and Gentile. Everyone worshipped together. And it was in that environment all the Psalms were written. The presence of God moved powerfully. And the apostles and the prophets all said that just before the coming of the Messiah, we're going to see a a restitution of that. Jew and Gentile worshipping together. That's what Acts 15 is all about. Amen? But Rabbi says, let me take you a little bit deeper. And he said, and this is out of the Hebrew Bible, Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. There's Shema. He is the faithful God. Keeping the Brit, Hebrew word for Brit is covenant. uh, Keeping the Brit and the Hesed. Hesed is love. It's loving kindness. To a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So there's something going on here between the covenant Brit and Hesed. He points out in Deuteronomy 7.12, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep the Brit, keep the covenant, and the Hesed with you, as he swore to your ancestors. And so the relationship between God and Israel is defined uh, two ways here. By Brit, by the covenant, we have a relationship with God because we have a covenant with God. And this essentially is referring to the content of the Torah, of the Bible. The promises that God gives in the Bible. The obligations that come with it. If you will do some of these things, I'll let it rain on up in here. Amen. 
So if you do this, God says, then I'll do that. That's part, uh, that's one aspect, the Brit, the covenant. It's reciprocal in the sense of there's certain things that we need to engage with. When's God going to bless me? I never get a blessing from God. If that you hear someone say that, if you utter that, go back and find out what kind of seeds you've been sowing. Because there's always a cause and effect spiritually with God. You do something to activate, you draw near to me, God, and I'll draw near to you. Both you and God, as the, in the covenant part, you're committing to one another. Right? When you came to the altar, if that's how it worked for you, to become born again. I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. Right? You made a commitment to serve the Lord. And as you did, God made a commitment to you filled with a thousand and one things that he wants to do for you. Seems like he's doing more in the covenant than you. All I had to do was pray the prayer and God said, I'll unleash a thousand and one blessings in your life. So the covenant is based on, in many ways, uh, you know, especially not eternal life so much, but abundant life is based on ifs. But the rabbi points out something critical uh, in understanding uh, this in that God took it even further and added this word has said. I'm going to make a, a, a covenant with you and provide has said. Uh, two distinct words with two distinct meanings. And so technically it should read, I am entering into a covenant and into love. Two distinct meanings. So what is Rabbi saying? He, he's showing us, and God is showing us, that our foundation is built on keeping the covenant, following the commandments, keeping the divine principles, following the Lord's guidelines, uh, so that we have better personal and civic behavior. You just can't behave any old way you want. Right? I know even Christianity now, there's debate whether we can behave any way we want. No, there's a, set, there's a set of guidelines, a code of ethics. And when you enter into the covenant, I pledge my allegiance, you're accepting the yoke of God's ways, God's Bible, onto your life. But there's more. Amen? There's also this unique aspect that God himself, through his grace and mercy, his loving kindness, which endures forever, is going to pour out unlimited blessing on us through his said. The foundation for keeping the covenant is based on love, said, loving kindness, grace and the grace and mercy of God. Maimonides defines said as extraordinary or excessive kindness. Amen? Amen? God has extraordinary kindness. And he wants, to ex- uh, he wants to excessively lavish it over your life. It's a level of kindness that exceeds your natural expectation. It's just a pure act of grace. It's, it's something that you and I have not, we haven't done anything to earn the level of blessing that God wants to pour out into our lives. Amen. And because of his loving kindness, his has said, he will never ever break the covenant, even if we do. Even if we become unfaithful, God is faithful. And there, you may have taken a thousand steps away, but it's only one step back. Oh, come on, somebody. This is the whole teaching, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? New Testament, Hebrews. 
There's, there is no, if you do this my way, then I'll do what I promise. There's an aspect that there'll be a rain coming on you because you entered the covenant that you don't have to do anything or earn it. So there's certain things cause and effect, but there's another aspect that God just wants to love you and bless you because he's your heavenly father. He's a gracious father. He's full of loving kindness. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that knoweth God loveth God for God is love thank you Lord it's just he just does things out of goodness the root word of his said means eager and ardent desire zeal love kindness towards someone benevolence mercy or pity Uh, And it speaks of grace and favor and the mercies of God that he has towards people. Comes up 248 times in the Hebrew Bible. So it's well established in Jewish culture and it should be well established in Christian culture that a person who embodies that trait of said, hopefully that's being replicated in our lives that the, the outcome of going to church isn't so that we just get churchy. The outcome of sitting in a pew isn't so we become pewy. The outcome of our coming to church is we're building our revelation and relationship with God so that we're replicating some of these qualities that God has, qualities of love. You spend too much time on social media, you get swept away into the cancel culture and criticizing and belly aching and complaining and fault finding and rock throwing. God did not call you to the rock throwing ministry. And so we embody things like loving kindness and has said. And we're not only faithful to following God's laws to the letter, we're willing to do above and beyond. We go the extra mile. Christians are learning. The the maturation process is learning to go the extra mile. It's not just what's fun and easy. There's some things that are just necessary to do. And you find a way to rally yourself in the Spirit of God beyond the natural into a supernatural mindset that I'm willing to go the extra mile. Your flesh hates that thought. (laughs) But you're no longer a flesh creature. We didn't get saved to become better flesh creatures. Carnal, worldly, craving the flesh, fleshly things. I am a flesh creature. We don't just do what's required. We just get excited with ardent zeal that God has saved us. And what he's done for me, I want to share with the world. God didn't judge me. He didn't contemn, condemn me. He wasn't throwing stones at me. He wasn't trying to ruin my life. He wasn't trying to get into an argument with me every single day. Trying to bring that love, that grace, that mercy, that kindness. And in today's society, we've all been locked up for six months and we see political science at its worst. (laughs) People wanting to be at each other's throats. And uh, we can't get swept away with that. We definitely need to vote the Bible. As for me and my house, we're going God's way. Praise God. So as I was studying this, I I realized once again that God has been a, a God of grace and mercy from the beginning. 
It wasn't like uh, as many of us were taught in Christian circles that it wasn't until Jesus came that grace came. <clears throat> Submit a new answer. Grace came in Genesis 1. <laughs> and we're seeing grace all the way to Revelation 22. Amen. And, but uh, he's, he's a God of loving kindness, a gracious father. He loves us, and he's got a beautiful, awesome destiny for each of us. Amen. His mercies are what? Fresh every day. And the covenant that he made with Israel and the covenant that we have now through Jesus Christ uh, has always been a part of human history. There's always been a better deal for mankind if you do it God's way. And in reality, it's, we got the easy part, right? Because we don't have to do the miracle. You're not the miracle worker. All your job is to, God, show me what path to take. I'll get in line and march. If I have to, I'll shut up. And, and not curse what you're trying to do, not bellyache my way into the blessing, but praise my way into the blessing. Father, thank you. You're a good God. Thank you for healing. Thank you for prosperity. Thank you for peace. Thank you for joy. Thank you for every blood-bought blessing. That's the grace of God. I learned a cool acronym when I was in Bible college a uh, hundred years ago. They still won't give me my uh, a senior discount at Great Clips until I tell them. I had to tell the lady yesterday. <clears throat> I had to tell, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a senior, I'm 65. No, well. No, really, I want my $2 discount. <laughs> of course, I just gave it back to her in the form of a tip. <clears throat> I don't know why I was saying all of that. I guess it's because I'm an old man, even though I don't look it. I can't get it out of my mind. I've got a Medicare card. It's a phobia. i got to get through that thing. But anyway, for whatever reason, I brought that up. Grace, the acronym for grace that I learned in Bible college is God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen. Isn't that good? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I've always loved that. <clears throat> and that grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, you know the Lamb of God was slain since the foundations of the world, right? And so the blessing of God was always attainable by entering into the covenant. Well, were, were the Jews going to go to heaven? Of course. Yeah, they, they believe one true God, pledge of allegiance. I declare I love the Lord, right? So uh, do you think Abraham's not in heaven? <laughs> you think Moses is not in heaven? Oh, well, Ezekiel didn't make it. No, they're there. A lot of times Christians think that, that there's the Moses side of heaven and the Jesus side of heaven. And uh, there's a dividing line and a big wall and they never talk to one another because Jesus doesn't like Moses and Moses doesn't like Jesus. <laughs> How silly. But there's some misunderstandings of how... Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense are acquired. The rain will fall on the just, so there will always be a certain amount of blessing. But to truly enter into abundant life, uh, there's uh, been this great debate in Christian circles uh, that uh, uh, some teach that now that we're saved, there's nothing we have to do to make the covenant come alive and experience the promises and nothing you have to do. In fact, if you try to do anything, that's works and you're trying to earn the blessing of God. Now, I believe that's true for eternal life. By 
grace through faith are we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do to earn eternal life. But what, when you start talking about abundant life, suddenly the dynamic changes and there's some if involved. Right? When, when I was in Bible college, Reinhard Bonnke came to speak, the late, great Reinhard Bonnke. Some of you know what I'm going to say. It always has stuck with me. Uh, he, he said, uh, it was like he's saying it to me. He said, uh, this is back in the 80s, Scott Sigmund, the gospel is like soap. It only works when it's applied. So there's an application process. God loves us unconditionally. There's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. It's by grace through faith. However, now that we're saved, we're told to work out our salvation. How come this thing isn't working for me? Because maybe the level that you're experiencing is the level you're putting into it. If all I'm putting in is 60 minutes on a Sunday morning, and the, the other 167 hours I'm doing my own thing, don't quite why it's not working. It'd be the analogy, it'd be like if you were trying to get a master's degree. We're all here trying to earn our master's degree. He is the master, and he has a way that we need to learn, and it's a process and a journey of learning it. But to get that master's degree, if you never cracked a book, <laughs> then you're never going to learn any lessons. Of course, we're, we're like the guys in Animal House. <laughs> We're going to sneak into the dumpster and find the teacher's key and then just cheat our way into the next level. You're not going to cheat God into the next level. Right? So there comes a point where we need to understand there's an application. We need to apply ourselves with eager and ardent desire towards serving God and learning His covenant, learning His ways, and applying that covenant and the hased that it's meant to build towards God and others. This is where the if comes in. If you'll do these things, I'll let it rain on up in here. Now, people don't like that in Christian circles. When I when we cover this, well, God, doesn't, God doesn't have no ifs. There's nothing I have to do. But Jesus himself talked about the ifs. In Matthew 7, verse 24, he talked about if you're a wise man and build your house on the rock, then your life won't be washed away when the storms and the waves and the winds come. If, if you build your life on the rock, then good things will happen. And he goes on to say, if you don't, if you build your life on the sand, where'd my house go? Why are all these things crashing and burning? Well, go back and examine your foundation and find out, well, you know, really, what do I really believe? What do I really stand for? What is my value system? How deeply am I convicted to living for God? Matthew 6, 14, Jesus said, If you forgive men their sins, then I will forgive you. If you don't, then your sins won't be forgiven. So if I walk around carrying a grudge and being ticked off and being offended and trying to cancel everybody and just be ugly with everybody, and I'm a Christian though, and then I wonder why things aren't gelling, why things aren't working. How can, this ain't working, Pastor Huck. This ain't working. Well, maybe check your attitude. Maybe we need more of an attitude of gratitude. Right? In Luke 7, 16, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if. 
John 14, if you ask anything in my name, if. John 15, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, right? If you don't, you're going to wither. So there's the if factor in the New Testament, and we could give you a dozen more uh, on top of that. But for the sake of time, let's try to head to the finish line. The, uh, there's some that are teaching that if you try to do anything to obey the Word of God, it's disqualified because of self-effort. You're not supposed to put in an effort. You're just supposed to receive the grace of God. Now, I receive the grace of God, but I don't just uh, have that sole view. I have to have a balanced viewpoint. There's times when it just happens. Hallelujah. But there's other times, and most of the time, effort is required. The E word. I'm quitting this church. They made me think about putting in effort. (laughs) But this is all called hyper-grace theology. And it just emphasizes God's grace without any other teaching or any other balance added to the whole mix. Some, I went on one guy's website, on his Facebook page actually, and he said, we no longer need to preach repentance. And I'm thinking to myself, well, look, I, I, I'm not out there holding signs, turn or burn, but there is a, uh, a, an aspect of we need to change our lives. Last year to this year, there should be some progress being made in our maturity level as Christians, and that requires some effort. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Well, I sat close to a real spiritual person in church, so it got all over me. No, it probably didn't. Hypergrace teachers maintain that all sin, past, present, and future, has already been forgiven, so there's no need for a person to confess their sins anymore. Huh? What? Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed, James 5.16. So what do we do about that? Just wipe that one out. Ah, you know, we, we don't need that kind of thing in our Bible anymore. Old-fashioned. So this movement has led people to question whether or not we're bound to hundreds of commands of Jesus, the apostles, what, what did they teach? And if they gave a command, ah, they really didn't mean that. Here, let me interpret that for you. Even the Ten Commandments now, in the minds of many Christian teachers, is we're putting a Mr. Yuck sticker on the Ten Commandments. The problem is, is that God's version of morality becomes subjective. And uh, suddenly, hyper-grace can morph into, uh, if it feels good, do it. Whatever I feel at any given time must be right for me, even if it doesn't match the Word of God. So it's morphed into something. I'm sure the teachers never meant it to morph into that. But believers are in danger of believing there's no particular code of ethics. I don't have any specific duties or responsibilities as a Christian. I'm just sitting here until Jesus comes because God's grace covers me. So the myth in all of this, and we've got to finish this up, or the misunderstanding is that all the benefits of the covenant will happen automatically. <coughs> no. They won't happen automatically. Pastor James, the first pastor of the New Testament church, said, don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. (laughs) Oh, darn, man. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself, he goes on to say. Another misunderstanding is grace means... Living responsible and godly lives is no longer important. Dear Lord, godly lives don't make you right with God. 
But it should create the foundation for a great experience in serving God. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because there were people even back then that just wanted, well, there's nothing I got to do. I can live any old way I want, and God's going to just wink at it, and I'll get blessed and live a wonderful life, and then when I get to heaven, I'll get a nice pat on the back. Well done, Scott. I just don't think it works that way. And the, the apostle says, God forbid we think that way. Misunderstanding three Grace means that sin no longer exists. Please. Or that God is not bothered by our sin. Or that we don't need to confess our sin. The Apostle John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Doesn't mean God wants to condemn us means he wants to cleanse us from all of that mentality, all of the stain of sin, so that we can live a blessed life. Amen. Right? So there are some things that, you know, the high, you know you're going to get blessed serving God, even if you share some of these hyper-grace uh, philosophies. Because the rain will fall on the just or the unjust. But it doesn't, it, it should have never invalidated that now that we're Christians, we got work to do. Amen? And so, hundreds of scriptures clearly show this. And I encourage us all to continue making an effort under the direction of the Holy Spirit to finding the will of God and following the ways of God as best we can. And if we stumble and fall, God will never forsake us. He loves us too much. He'll give us the opportunity. How many times will God forget? Seven times 70. Infinity to infinity and beyond. But we also need to understand the ifs in life. And many of the ifs in life control our destiny right? And so if we're making bad choices, it's probably because we're listening to bad voices. And if we're listening to good voices, we'll probably make some good choices and we'll have that success, that blessing, that wonderful future that God promises. Who's ready for that? In Jesus' name, receive it. Amen. We'll give the Lord a praise. Thank you so much for coming.